Thank you, Father, for being with us today. We just pray right now that you will open your word to us and really speak into the hearts of many men and women here today and continue to keep on speaking uh, because we need to hear from you. We need your word. And we're asking it not just for our sake, but that you will equip us to reach out to those who do not yet know you. That's the cry of our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. 35 minutes and then ish. Um, I've entitled the second part of this uh, word, A Vision for Church Planting and How It Might Work. Just kind of said that deliberately because we don't exactly know how this is going to go, but I'm throwing out, I got some thoughts and ideas, hopefully based on scripture, about how this whole vision might work. And this is the bit of the day when some of us may be uh, feeling like switching off because I'm going to obviously talk about together for Scotland, not just being praise parties, but actually doing something. Because at the end of the day, if in five years' time we're still putting these kind of things on and nothing much has happened as a result, then something's not working. And so I want to not leave you behind. We're going to try and engage with you. But if some of you are thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not called to be a church planter, I'm not involved in church planting, or some of you are thinking, I know God's called me to be here, the little phrase that people use is a pillar in the church. Okay, so you might be one of those, um, and it's true that God might never, ever call you to church plant, you might never be involved in one. My suspicion is, however, a lot of you will, so you need to listen up carefully, because this might not be relevant to 2016, but it may be relevant in the future, and you may be just thinking, I wish I'd listened a bit more carefully back in those days, but as you'll see in a moment, I passionately believe that church planting actually involves everybody whether you go or whether you stay. So let's do two parts. First part is what is the vision for church planting? The second part is going to be how it might just work here in this particular nation. So starting with um, the whole thing of vision, I just want to, to just, uh, without going too much into history, but New Frontiers, which is this global kind of community that we're a part of, has always been a church planting movement. It's never, ever been anything different to that. And it still is. So back a few years ago, as many of you know, New Frontiers uh, stopped being just one team led by one person, became multiple teams. So have two churches represented here today who are in relationship with two of those different teams. And when that announcement was made and people were kind of recognised and everything, we were about 800 churches and about 50 nations. So as those few years have gone past, we've now doubled so we're now about 1,500 churches in over 80 nations. And that happened because we said we're not going to carry on like this anymore. Some people say to me, whatever happened to New Frontiers? It multiplied. <laughs> now we don't say that because we're proud of the name or proud of who we are. It just confirms it's in our DNA. Most of that growth has come through church planting. Most of it has come through. It's not lots of adoptions of churches. There are some. But the primary growth has been through the multiplication of establishing new churches and new works. So it would be very, very strange and odd if you're in the Church of the Borders or at King's that you, we actually stopped doing this. We actually settled for something different. It's not in your DNA. I mean, some of you have only been in the church in a year, for a year, but I'm just telling you, it's now in your DNA. It's kind of, it's infiltrating. It happens at night, we're in bed, and we come along, we inject things. But it's like... 
The DNA is there. You hear it Sunday by Sunday, life group by life. If you're in these churches, you'll begin to think about movement and things happening. It's not some strange, odd new phenomena. For decades, the family of churches that we're a part of has had this happening. And together for Scotland should include this desire to plant churches, to collaborate together to do this. Now, whenever I speak on church planting, as I've already hinted, hinted the kind of tensions start to come to the, the fore. You get pastors who get a little bit kind of protective and, oh dear, are you going to you know, start stirring up our people so that we, we send them all? And then, and then, and then you, you, there's a nervousness around that we're going to spread ourselves too thinly. You know, if we plant loads of churches and we've only got 120 people, what's that going to mean? And, and these are good questions. They're, they're not nasty tensions, they're good tensions. And, and if we're going to plant churches, that means we've got to give away our best. And maybe even some of our elders will move and go somewhere else. It's kind of like, oh dear, it's a bit insecure, a bit kind of, makes us a bit nervous. Um, or maybe you, you think, Dave, we've just got the church right. It's just got secure. People like you turn up. You mess it all up. You start stirring everybody. You're absolutely right. It's kind of like sometimes... I go into a church and I'll say, that couple over there, uh, what, what, you know, they look really great. I just had a chat over the coffee and they're really kind of what, and, and they look really ace, the kind of people that we could actually, and, and sometimes elders stand in front of me when I'm saying, say, what people? Because <laughs> people like me, this is our job. I'm paid to do this. Sniff around. <laughs> trying to find potential. And it's not because I want our name to be, it's because of the Great Commission. It's because of this desire that we don't, and if you don't do this, if, you don't, if you're not prepared to give away, you don't lose people, you send people. And that's different. And if you don't have that, you will get frustrated people in your church communities who love it and get taught and fed and discipled, but it's not to stay here forever. It's to be, it's to be trained up because one day they're going to go and do this. Elsewhere, many of you know we're running this academy. A few years ago, we said, "Lord, would you please, if we can believe you for 35 people to join the academy?" For those of you that might not know, this is a training thing we're running, and, uh, and give us 35, and then we'll know it's of God. Well, we've just been completely overwhelmed, and uh, possibly at the beginning of the year, we're now six centres doing the academy with over 250 people involved. It's crazy. Now you can understand where I think are those 250 people just going to go back to their churches and sit there. Thanks for two years training. No. Some of them will, but many of them will end up, all that training is to be sent to go and do things. How do we plant churches? Well, that used to be a really, really easy question to answer. It used to be quite simple. We used to have a kind of pattern of the way that we used to plant churches in the old days. Now it's become very complicated. So people say, how do you plant churches? I say, it depends. Where are you planting? Is it a city? Is it an inner city? Is it a village? Is it in this country? Where is it going to be? It's going to become complicated. How many people do you need? Well, it depends on this and this, and et cetera, et cetera. I even now have the dilemma of talking to people about which language we're going to use when we plant the church in a certain place. It's really fascinating and kind of come quite complex, but that's because of the desire to reach out across the complexity of the world in which we live. There's no blueprint. There's no A to Z manual of how to plant a church. And so there's all these tensions and questions. Every time I talk on 
church planting. Everybody starts, you know, you don't look like you are, but inside you are. Kind of, oh, questions, you know, that's like, oh, well, that means that, and that means this, and I wanted to be with those people forever, but they might go somewhere else. And the church has just got, we've just got stable in all these kind of things. So what's the answer? How do we plant these churches and how many people? The answer is this, you have to keep your eyes on the big picture. It's vision. And if you don't have vision that church planting is the domain of all of God's people, it's part of why we have not called to settle in our buildings. We've been called to be involved in planting churches. If we don't get that in our DNA, if it's not part of our vision, we will stop with all these different... But, oh, if that means it can't... It has to be faith, and it has to be faith. This is what God's called us to do. It'll be all right. Everything will work out fine. You won't suffer if we send our best people. Really, you won't. It's been our testimony year after year after year. It doesn't get any easier sending people. They're your friends. They're the people that you've kind of grown up with. We have sent over 300 people from our church to be involved in church planting, both in this nation and in other nations. And every time we say goodbye to the next couple, it's got full of affection and emotion. My wife always cries. I think, you've done this 300 times. Why are you still... Then I, then I realise she cries you know, in a film when the dog dies, so it's just kind of <laughs> part of life. But I say, Liz, you've done this, and every time, but, but they're my friends. It's costly. It really is. It's something that's a bit painful. It doesn't become professional, but it's what we're called to do. Here's a question. I've got two of them. Are we called to plant churches? Good question. Do we even need to pray about it? I mean, tonight, should we pray about should we plant churches or not? I don't think many of us will feel very comfortable with that because we kind of know intuitively that it's the right thing. I think even in Matthew 28, the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, which is called the Great Commission, even there, there's the first hint that we should go and plant churches. It doesn't say go and make converts. It says go and make disciples. Immediately, that gives me the picture of a group of people who've come together through whom someone is beginning to disciple. It's about forming a community. That's the start of, the early, of, of church planting. And then, of course, Jesus goes on to say, and baptising them. Well, baptising them into what? Yeah, water. Very clever. <laughs> but baptising them into what? A formed community, a community of people. We're all part of the body of Christ. Sometimes people interpret the, the, the Great Commission as Jesus said, just go and tell. So all we just go. He didn't say that. He even went on to say, teaching them to observe everything that I've taught you. He's talking about a forming of a community with discipleship and teaching and baptism. He didn't just say go and tell. He had a method, and the method was this, the establishing of local communities that would impact communities. It's through the local church that the entirety of the gospel is experienced, not just through isolated people. So again, in Ephesians chapter 2, you see all these wonderful pictures of being living st stones that are coming together, being built together into community where God dwells by his spirit. These are building. We are going to go and plant churches, and we are called to do this because we're called to do it. And if you get a bunch of people saved over here, it's very dangerous just to walk off and go to the next place and leave them. They need to be formed into a community. We need to plant churches throughout Scotland and beyond because 
people are responding to the gospel. So that little phrase that's used in Acts chapter 2 is very, very poignant with this. Saved and added. Well, what do you get added into if it's just an evangelistic mission? The mission is gone and gone to another town. So we have the responsibility of gathering these, uh, these, these disciples and forming them into this community. We are undoubtedly called to plant churches. There's no question about it. It's our calling to start these communities everywhere. Jesus has a body on earth. That's you and me. We are now literally his hands and feet, his voice, his heart. If we preach God is love, then we need to love one another. So people not only hear the message, but actually see it. And the way you can only see that is in communities. Christianity is not about an isolated brick in a field. It is not about isolated individuals. It's about being brought together and to be established. So are we called to plant churches? I would argue, even from the very last words of Jesus, there is that commission to go and do this. Can we plant these churches anywhere? Well, the answer to that question is yes and no. So there are certain places that I know of where I'm thinking, I don't think we're going to plant church there. Why have I come to that conclusion? Well, because there are other people there that are doing something and we're on the same page and I don't want to tread on their toes, etc., etc. Having said that, there's a growing sense of with 90% of the population not even knowing about Jesus. If you planted 100 churches out of new ground in Edinburgh alone, in good partnership with all the other churches, we still wouldn't be scratching the surface. So there's a mental shift that needs to go in the body of Christ. You can't come here, why not? Because we've already got a church here. How many people in this town? 350,000. How many of you? 100. <laughs> so I'm facing this right now with one city in Europe where I've upset a few people because we're thinking of planting a church there. There's 3.2 million people in that city. I mean, come on. It's not about the politics of church anymore. It's about the multitudes of people that don't know Jesus. And the good news is this, all over the UK there are more and more people from all kinds of denominations that totally get this. And rather than saying, what are you coming here for? They're saying, thank goodness you guys have turned up. Why? Look at all this fish. We need another net. That's a great mentality to have. We're not against, we're on the same side for goodness sake. There's the enemy, not here. So with, with sensitivity and with love and with collaboration and conversation... I believe God is saying to us, come on, there's a, Scotland's just, it's just wide open. There's kind of hardly anywhere that, where we couldn't go because we want to partner with others, but see, we've got to reach the lost. That is our mentality. Here's another question. Is church planting relevant to all of us? I've already mentioned that sometimes we kind of switch off. The answer absolutely is yes. And this is, this is how it's important. Either you are in a church plant or one day you might well be in a church plant. So it's relevant to anybody you preach on this subject who's already in it and thinking, yeah, 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 these things are really important. But also it's relevant because a lot of people in our churches one day will be. It's also relevant to people who will never go to be a church, in a church plant. This is, this is important that you understand this. Because actually you will be discipling those who will. So sometimes I talk to pastors and say, well, I'm not in a church plant. Yeah, but you are discipling a whole load of people who have the potential to go and plant churches. So there are actually people, there are actually churches led by people who have never planted a church, but in a way they have because they've discipled a whole load of people who have gone and planted churches. Does that make sense? This is why I think passionately the whole concept of church planting is something relevant to all of us. 
Also, you're, in, you're caught up, as I said earlier, in a church planting movement. And so when you hear that a church has been planted in somewhere, you don't think, good for them, I hope they do all right. You think, we are planting a church in so-and-so. I've got some friends that have just planted a church in Halifax. And when I heard they planted a church in Halifax, my first thought is, someone's got to go to Halifax. <laughs> and it's not me, hallelujah, I'm somewhere else. That's what went through my mind, because I know Halifax and know what it's like. Happy Valley. Anyway, so if you, if you see that and then you think, and then you think, hang on a minute. Do you know what I feel? I feel like I think I've planted a church in Halifax because these are my friends and we're, wanting, and we're going to pray for them and we're going to support them and resource them. And I might not know many of the people that are involved in it, but when you're in church planting movement, you feel this is what we are doing. And I really would love to catch you up today in that concept. This is why church planted. Great, another one. Hallelujah. I'm still in Edinburgh. God's called me here. Maybe I'm never going to go, but look at this, and I'm training up, and they're going, and I'm hearing this. I hope that answers your question. Yes. Church planting is relevant to every one of us. I've had a couple of old dears who've prayed for me for years in my local church. You know, one of them's gone to be the Lord, the other one's still around. She's going to be around forever, I think, but... Um, they, they, they hardly, we have got a prayer group that we meet with them and they, they, they're, they're just staying. They've been there all their lives. They live in our area. They're never going to go to here and that nation, to Scotland and planting and everything else. But in prayer, it's like they just go everywhere. It's kind of like they never leave their homes because they can't, but they go all over the world because they feel they're caught up in something in prayer that makes it relevant. Whoever you are today, church planting is a relevant issue to each one of us. So this session that I'm talking about is about you and not about them. So if the answer to the question is church planting relevant to all of us, the real question is just obvious, isn't it? So the question now is how, where, when, and who? If we can sort that one out, as the Meerkat advert says, simple. It's just there. It's just going to happen. It's not really that simple. It's some things that need to be sorted out and one of the things that needs to be sorted out is a massive key for me, and it's the key of process. And so it's great to answer the question, are we called to plant churches? It's great to answer the question, is church planting relevant to all of us? Good to get all that. But the questions of how, where, when, and who are the things that we need to nail. And that leads us on to the process of planting churches. This is all to do with Together for Scotland. So keep with me just for these next few moments, because one day some of you are going to get caught up in this. Um, and the whole thing of process is something that I think a lot of us have been looking at recently. It's not just the doing of the church plant, it's how do we do this and how can we get involved. I watch people sometimes respond to a call to church plant. It's kind of easy to get response for that, so you pump everybody up, you preach a super wonderful word oriented word about Church plant. Who will church plant? And just piles of people come forward. And, and, and sometimes I think, did I really tell them what church planting was like? And in other thing, times they all pile forward and I think, now what are we going to do with all these people that said, yes, I believe I'm called to church plant. And so responding to the appeal to church plant is one thing. Getting you ready to be involved in that church plant, equipping you and discipling you is something altogether different. 
A process needs to begin. And sometimes for those of us who want to desire, just stay with me, to plant churches, that one day maybe, maybe I'll be involved in a church plant, maybe I'll move to another place or another nation and I'll be involved in that. But it's probably like a long way away. Right now, in your local church, this is your preparation ground for that. You don't start as a church planter the moment the door opens and you go off the whole load of people to Brussels. You start here, believing that one day maybe I'll be involved in that church plant in Brussels, but I don't just sit around waiting for the elders to recognise how good a person I am. You just serve. You just get equipped. You get on things like the academy. You get, it might be years away, but just going to give myself to getting ready. And you know what? If God never calls me to do that, then anyway, all this equipping and discipling maybe is preparing me so I can disciple other people who will. So the process is such an important thing for those of that appeal, the response to the appeal to church plant. We're getting you ready right here and now. It's the process of preparation for the church plant itself. We're, um, we're looking into planting a church at the moment in one big city in, um, in Europe, and I've been having conversation with uh, a number of couples who are thinking of moving there. And um, the conversation we've had to have with them is this. It's not now, and it's not even next year. This is a 20, 30-year commitment. So if there's a process that takes some time because you're not quite ready yet, I'd rather dig in and spend some time really getting you ready so that when we go, you're not going to be there for a year. You're going to go. You're going to take your kids, your whole language, everything, you're going to go and you're going to really give yourself to that. So let's slow it down a little bit, because the process is really, really important. So here are some ingredients I want to give to you very practically on the process. So this might be for you as an individual, it might be for your church, it's relevant to all of us. Number one, having the right foundations is absolutely crucial if we're going to be involved in church planting. It cannot be overstated. Individuals who plant churches that don't have a depth of foundation in their life will come a cropper, don't know what other word to use, because it's tough. And so planting a church, when it gets tough, if you haven't got this inbuilt kind of steel within you, you'll just be blown around by all the, the different winds of what's going on. And church planting's up and down, and it's kind of not all joy and hallelujah. I went forward at the meeting, I thought it was going to be absolutely, here we come. My goodness, it's been hard work. Well, of course it's been hard work. It's planting a church, that's what it is. You know, if I, if I do really well in this sermon, none of you will want to plant, no, <laughs> I don't really want to go that far. But it is, it is costly. And so the foundation laying stage, you think, well, why hasn't God called me yet to plant the church or be involved in it? Maybe it's because there's a few more things you've got to get into your being. So that when it's out there and things, you don't just throw in the towel and come back again quickly. So, oh, I didn't know it was going to be like this. There's something that says, I'm going to stick at this. I'm going to press through. I've got friends in church plants that are really, really struggling. But they're not going to give up because they've got stuff in them. They've been well-trained. They've been well-founded. And that is the result of them being able to get through some of these barriers until this church emerges and really becomes something that, that makes an impact. Will you be tough enough? Are you tough enough for when those sort of things happen? Let me just say to you as a local church, foundations are absolutely vital for you as a local church so you become a resource centre 
a base, and that's part of the thing we're talking about. Here's another couple going, here's another people going. It doesn't affect the local church because we've got depth and foundations. We're working hard at the same old, same old things. And it gives another, and then we build again, and another, and we build again. Foundations are vital. And of course, foundations are even more vital because they are to be laid in those churches once they are planted. I've been challenged recently by things I've heard to understand this, that in Acts chapter 1 to 7, no churches are planted. Now, I think this confirms the burden that I'm just trying to have, give to you about how important foundations are. I think we've all got the picture, day of Pentecost, everything kind of happened and it all went everywhere. But in Acts 1 to 7, it's all about one church. The whole thing is about the church in Jerusalem. To the extent that some theologians think they kind of got a bit stuck in Jerusalem. And there's a little bit of a kind of, you know, debate, you know, because you heard Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. How come you're still in Jerusalem? So there's a bit of debate. Did they get stuck? Did they lose the plot? Did they kind of get internalized? Or was it, no one really knows, that this was a vital part of the expansion of the kingdom of God throughout the, the known world? Those first seven chapters were absolutely vital because they were laying such a bedrock in people's lives that when those people went to other planets, they re replicated what they had built back there in Jerusalem. I think there's a strong argument to say this is part of the story. It's a story of one church. No church is planted. The Great Commission was there. But God's plan might have been processed to press the pause button so they learned about what it meant to be a word and spirit church. What was their identity in Christ? What about the foundation of grace? Acts 2.42 says they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship and to prayer and the breaking of bread. Were they learning things foundationally? How to relate to one another? How important doctrine was? Imagine going preaching the, the gospel in an area of all kinds of heresies and you didn't really know the truth yourself. So maybe, just maybe, this period of church history was important for a church and maybe it's a model for us as well. Because once they got the first church right, it then exploded. Do you know what they did? They just planted churches just like that one. There would have been differences. You know, goodness me, Jerusalem was very different to Rome. There would have been all kinds of different issues. And, but basically the foundations were the same. And they just replicated and multiplied over and over and over again. Are we church planting right now without even knowing it? because we're laying foundations in the lives of people who will. And we might even be laying foundations in our local church. That means God will look upon us and say, okay, you've had your Acts 1 to 7 long enough. Now it's time to do the rest of the story to go and reach the world through the gospel. I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure you agree with me that it's not just why I'm here. <laughs> Don't misunderstand me. You know, am I pastored to just pastor one church for the rest of my life maybe but am I also at the same time preparing a people who will reach the nations of the world and if we're to lay to plant churches across the nation of Scotland foundation laying stage is absolutely key but it's never ever an end in itself suddenly the tipping point could come and suddenly we could be planting churches all over the place because our foundations have been well laid. Some of you might think, well, come on, there's a world to reach. Everyone's kind of like needing the gospel right now. It all sounds a bit slow. It's not slow. It has, it's a big picture for the long term. 
that we will still in 20, 30 years' time be talking about the things that God has begun amongst us. So, should there be churches like, I'm just throwing this out, like Hope Church, Tweed Bank. Should there be churches eventually like that one? I mean, I hope it's a good one because I've never been there, but I presume it is. Thank you. <laughs> but is the, is the aim as years go by, to plant similar churches all over the borders? King's Church, Edinburgh, could it be that out of this church community, churches like this will be planted in other towns and cities, or even across cities? I think we've got to realise that what we're doing is just not for the here and now, it's a preparation for what is to come. Foundations, I've got to move on. Is that a time? Foundations are so important. Perhaps that's why I'm staying here, because <laughs> it's relevant to many of us. Even when you plant, it's important. We planted a church um, called Redeemer Church in a place called The Hague a few years ago, and uh, the couple that planted it, first of all from South Africa, came to live with us. We did a year's training with them. They still look back and say that year was absolutely vital for them to do what they did. And then by the time they got there, about 30, 40 people, some from this country, some from Holland, who all came together, we kept that church community under the radar for over a year and a half. We didn't let them launch. We didn't let them do a public thing. We laid foundations, laid foundations. They related to one another. Then they taught. They came to conferences. We relate. They were like horses, just like, let me. And we just kept straining them, holding them back. They now say those, those two years were absolutely key for everything else. Then God says, now it's time to go. They got given this amazing facility right in the middle of the city, a few years later, there's, there's, I mean, they've run out of room. There's well over 400 that gather. Those foundations were absolutely vital. Do you know what they're doing now? They're doing a whole load of new stuff because they're now ready to go to the next phase. They're planning 10 church plants over the next 10 years in different parts of that part of Europe. And it's just so wonderful. You think, well, slow, under the radar, not very exciting. Do you understand where I'm coming from? It's absolutely vital in terms of what I believe they're going to do in the future. Okay, number two. Just throw this question out. Is it supernatural or is it strategic? I'm just going to rattle through these things, okay? I would love to spend more time, but we are going to run out of time. I think it's a biblical model that in the New Testament, the process of planting churches, number one, laying foundations. Number two was to embrace both the supernatural and the strategic all at the same time. So people would say to me in Scotland, we can't plant churches, we need a word from God. We need a supernatural confirmation, we need a sign. Then there are other people here that say, we don't need to wait for that. There's a strategic plan that's obvious. We have the major cities, we have the major towns, we have the train links, we have you know, all this, we know where the airports are. Come on, let's go strategically. We don't have to wait for a sign to go to Glasgow, we don't have to wait for a sign to go to Aberdeen, we're just gonna get on and do it because it's all there. Throughout the book of Acts, you get both and. And we need both and. So the whole of the book of Acts is like the Holy Spirit is working supernaturally, opening doors, closing doors. They learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit. So I totally believe that God miraculously speaks and says, plant there, prophetic words. You know, if you're traveling around with Paul, you didn't really know we're going to go next day because he might have a dream of someone saying, come over here. So the next morning you wake up and say, we're going. He says, no, I've had a dream, we're going over here. He says, what's going on? There's nothing strategic about that. You just had a dream. We like to check out dreams. You know, how come? 
you are the only oracle. But he says, no, God's spoken to me. They've been around Paul long enough to know it probably was the right thing to do. Breakthroughs came through, a sudden deliverance, someone getting miraculously healed. There was persecution of scattering, which resulted in miraculous churches being planted. There were earthquakes when they were in prison. There were shipwrecks. I don't think Paul ever really planned to go to Malta because it says they got caught up in a storm and a storm blew them and they all got, you know, all had to get off the boat. We didn't get off the boat. They all kind of were shipwrecked and they managed to get onto the island. But through them landing through the shipwreck, God's sovereign plan, and then through him being bitten by a snake by a bonfire, it resulted in the church being planted in Malta. Can't be bad, can it? They didn't wake up that morning thinking, here's the strategic, let's all go and get shipwrecked and I'll make sure a snake bites me and I don't get sick. And so everyone goes, this must be the real thing. Signs and wonders again. The miraculous dimension for church planting must always be there. And anyway, God does very strange things in strange places. Have you noticed that? He's not very strategic. I mean, Nazareth was, when, you know, when Jesus was raised, there were 350 people. It's not the, Jerusalem, surely, not Nazareth. God always has a habit of doing things that, you know, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to us. It's not exactly strategic. At the same time, Scripture also teaches us there's a clear strategy which is honoured. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Don't do Samaria and Judea until you've done Jerusalem. They knew the trade routes. They knew the market towns. They knew the strategic hubs, Antioch, Ephesus, where if they preached the gospel in one town, because it was a market town, everyone was coming in, the whole area would know about it. Good idea. The supernatural, the breaking of the spirit, blowing them from place to place is amazing, but they also worked with strategy as well. They went to a place in Galatia so that the whole of Galatia could be heard. They were all reached through being in one place, sometimes for years. So what do we need for Scotland? We need the spontaneous, miraculous breakthrough of the Spirit. And secondly, we need to know that there is a strategy that God will give us for reaching these places. Number three, we need to become mobile again. Early church was terribly mobile, full of people who were going and sent whereby there were people that were ready to go anywhere at any time. And over a period of 30 years, which is the length of the Acts of the Apostles, they eventually reached the whole Roman Empire. And if you know anything about church history, you'll know that some of the apostles particularly ended up way beyond the known world, into India, all over the place. They really were a people who fulfilled the Great Commission. They were mobile. Some of you might not know this because you probably weren't even born at the time. When New Frontiers started off, it was very kind of slow and very much... 30 churches all together in the southeast of England. And uh, I remember people saying to us, could you come up to Newcastle? We said, Newcastle is far too far for us to come. We were really, really southeast England people with that kind of mentality. Obviously, hallelujah, it all changed eventually um, to get going to all the nations of the world. But what people don't realise in the early days of, the new, of new Frontiers in the United Kingdom, we went from 35 to 200 churches in the period of about 10 years. How did, that's an important part, how on earth did that happen? It's because many of the people in those churches caught the vision that you had to be mobile. It's a story of amazing sacrifice of men and women giving up their comfort, moving house, jobs, schools for their kids, going to different places. Many of the churches around the UK that we're now working with were begun by people who weren't originally there but made the move. It was a tremendous mobility. This is my challenge to us. If we want to see that kind of thing happen again, then we need to produce people who are free to be mobile. 
People caught the vision. People were well-founded. They were ready to go. They'd had foundations laid. They knew it was for something else. Sending people was the norm. We need to get back to that situation again where we will be able to do that. As I said earlier, my local church, over 300 people sent to different places, all part of our DNA. Is that the end? Of course not. We're just getting ready for the next batch or the next people to be able to go. Can we become such a people? Yes, through the changing of our mentality. And some people say to me, you know, well, it's good for the young people because it's the young people that are mobile, they haven't got strings attached, they haven't got their roots down, they're the ones that will go and plant. Well, if you do that, you're going to really miss out because you're just going to end up with a load of people like you. It's not going to be a church of diversity. I'm passionately believing this call could be to anybody at any stage of their life. Some friends of ours, close friends of ours, took their teenage kids out of the, the most, you know, when you don't meet need, you do not move your teenagers. They waited and waited and waited for years, and they said, we can't wait any longer. God's called us to Montpellier in the south of France. We have to go. So they went. I mean, dangerous stuff. It was the making of their family. Their three teenage kids could have stayed in the youth group of 100-plus kids every week, but they ended up leading worship. They ended up being on the streets. They ended up helping mum and dad plant this church. And today, all three of them are radical disciples of Jesus. You think, wow, you're in your 40s. You're domesticated. You can't move. I used to think I could move, but now, look, all this baggage, kids, wife. You know, it's just like, how can we just, we just can't, can't get our move. You know, if you haven't read one, you need to read 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says, you know, trouble is, and you get married, it's a whole lot of baggage that comes with it. So it's all there in the Bible. When you're single and free, you just jump in the back of your mini and off you go. Have you noticed that? When my wife came along, I realized I would say, can we go now, please? And I would wait patiently in the hallway. And then when children came along, I just didn't even bother to move. I just sat reading the newspaper knowing it's going to take another two hours before we can actually get in the car and go. I mean, it's just like, we're 40s. We can't do this. Yes, you can. It's the call of God. You're serving him. We don't live for this world. We live for that. And I've got friends, Liz and I've got friends who are now serving God in church plants, who are of retirement age, and they came to the place where they said, well, we're retirement age, we've still got energy, we've had years of input, can't we be used of God to go and help others? And they moved. They've gone and done it, it's amazing. There's one couple in their late 50s who just kind of took an early retirement from Buxton, and they're just about to move to Geneva to be part of a church plant there. It's a massive cost, but they said to me, we're chatting to them, they said, we want to do something else with our life. God's given us all, we're a real mum and dad now, we know that. We're not number one church leaders, but we want to go and serve this community. You have no idea what a blessing they are going to be to what is a young, vibrant community. It's wonderful. Number four, can I go for another? (laughs) Number four, Having a little debate around here. I'm going to rattle this up. Lack of resources. This is all still part of the process. Just stay with me for the next few moments. Lack of resources. Do uh, you know what? We can always say we're not ready to go. Why? Because we've got a lack of resources. I think we're always going to have a lack of resources. We're already overstretched. We're so small. We're so weak. Together for Scotland needs to be full of people who understand there may be only you and one other family that's going to go. But God is with you. I guess with him, it's a majority. I guess with him, all the resources you need are actually there. It must be de- it's a dangerous thing to think we can only plant a church 
when we have all the resources from the church enabling us to go and do it. Yes, that will be a wonderful thing, but some of us can't wait around forever. It's a step of faith. God is your provider, not relational mission. God, he is the one who will be your provider. Or mean we'll have some stories of lack of resources can never be the reason we can't do things when we have a God who supplies all our needs. Number five, church planting and spiritual warfare. Part of the process, I mean, how many people are going to say it's tough in Scotland? I mean, it's tough in France, it's tough in Belgium. It's tough, it's tough, it's tough, it's tough. The issue for church planting is this. It is the front line of spiritual warfare. But we go and plant churches knowing that that is the case. That's why you have battles when you plant churches. That's why strange sicknesses sometimes happen. That's why it's tough. Difficulties, strange, odd, perplexing things sometimes happen. Because you're on the front line of where there'll be spiritual warfare. We have to go in with a clear theology of what we know to be truth. That Jesus has already defeated the enemy that we have come at. It's not about Scotland being tough. It's about going plant churches where the enemy has already been de- defeated, where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father on high. It's a case of going planting churches, knowing there'll be spiritual warfare, but knowing that he has equipped us with everything that we need. And so we need to toughen up on this issue. It's not a case of, oh, it's spiritual warfare, it's going to be really difficult. It's a case of fixing our eyes on Jesus and becoming Christ-centred and knowing there is nowhere in the world that is too tough for churches to be planted and to be established. And finally, number six, and this is one of the reasons that we're going to be doing this as part of Together for Scotland this evening, and I'd love all of you, if you can, to come back, certainly throughout the day, but be there this evening as well. Is prayer really the last resort when everything else has not happened? I believe it should be the number one issue for all of us in this process of planting churches. Church planting for Scotland will be birthed out of prayer. And when you see the Acts of the Apostles and the amazing story of breakthrough, you see a parallel story all the time of people who prayed. We're never going to see any of this happen without the power of prayer. I would love, if nothing else today, to birth a kind of grassroots movement of prayer amongst us as churches. So as we go from here today, the end of the day, we know that we're together praying for this nation of Scotland. Lord, please, please, please. Dangerous prayers, you might find you're the answer to some of them, but praying and asking that God would do this. great thing about Relational Mission is that some time ago they started this amazing prayer movement called Enough, which just mobilizes literally thousands of people across their family churches to pray. You think, well, that's a bit of a kind of thing in the background, isn't it? You know, they've got everybody praying. No, 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 no. That is the key to the breakthrough that they're going to be experiencing in the future. Same for us in New Ground. If you go on our website, I don't know if you ever do, for those of you who are part of this church, you'll find the theme, Has God Forgotten Europe? And you click onto it and you'll find a whole section there on prayer and every nation in Europe comes up every week not every nation, a nation comes up every week with loads of details and behind the scenes there are hundreds of people every week they are looking at that website and they're praying for these nations, some of which they will never go to, but I believe their prayers are being answered. Underneath the process for church planting is the whole issue of prayer. It's prayer that's going to make the difference. Let's just close our eyes. Father, we want to ask you, that the things we've heard even this morning would not be just 
a few notes in our notepad. But really, Lord, they will be some truths that will galvanise us into action. I just pray for everybody here today. Thank you that there are pillars of the church. There are people who, who might feel called to stay where they are year after year. I thank you for people like that, always moving, even though they don't physically go somewhere. They're moving in you. And I pray for our churches today that will be full of people like that, that they will be caught up in discipling those who will. And I pray for anybody here today, anybody that's just got a little seed, I wonder if one day that will be what God will call me to do. And I pray, Lord, that this will result in some action, it will result in not waiting for that one day, one day my prince will come, but we'll actually start now. By the way I serve, the way I dig into the word of God, tough lessons that I learn now as part of my church will be so helpful for when I get out into another situation because I learned that lesson. Lord, I pray, teach us, raise us up. I pray for a whole mobile army of people who one day, however long it takes, however many years, find themselves serving you throughout this nation and for some of us, even the nations beyond. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.